Hi everyone, my name is Navridi. And I'm Eric. And welcome to our podcast, Above and Below, where we interview changemakers and industry experts to help us explore how we're shaping our culture and how it's shaping us. Today, we are exploring the topic of workplace design. Uh, just to give everyone a bit more context on workplace design, so interior and environmental design has become this quintessential part in influencing workplace culture. Uh, it drives the types of interactions that occur during the day, and we've seen a lot of workplace design becoming the forefront to attract talent in the recent years. We see this in co-working spaces, in places like The Wing or WeWork, and they've really created a localized and modern aesthetic, offering flexible spaces with the intent to foster engagement beyond the desk. So I'm really interested today to learn more about how workplace design has become so valuable over the years. Yeah, I think it's obviously transforming uh, in the last two decades or more with just the transformation of how we think about the workspace uh, changing from the cubicle into open offices. And now in recent years, we're seeing the backlash of open office space and people getting annoyed with that. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm really interested today in exploring what the next stage is in, in workplace design. Yeah, and I what I would also really like to learn is how workplace design reflects the identity of a company uh, and also how it affects the relationships between people. You know, you mentioned we're moving away from the cubicle model and, you know, the boss having this corner office to completely rebelling against that in many ways and coming into a place where everything is open, uh, you're sometimes even sitting next to the CEO and, you know, and going about your work day. There's lots of living room spaces and more interactive uh, areas to, you know, I guess, do work. <laughs> right. And in a way, workplace design has become like a recruiting tool to attract employees. People are more aware of it, or people are more interested in different perks and amenities in the workplace. Um, so we're really interested to learn more. Here we have uh, Mark Barrick today. Uh, he's the principal of DTLS Architecture. Uh, he's also a architecture professor at Columbia University in New York. Uh, so we're excited to have you on here, Mark. Uh, thanks for having me, everybody. Welcome. Welcome. So let's just jump in. I, I'm really interested in picking your brain, and let's start from the beginning. What What does workplace design mean to you? Oh, of course. Like you can think of workplace design as a cyclical evolution, and even if I was to make a stance on where we are today, it's only a reflection of where we've been in the past 10, 15, 20 years. Um, you are correct. Workplace design right now is built around this open office concept. And it has a lot of pros and a lot of cons. The pro is you've got a big open space that's flexible, that you can easily change desks, have soft seating. The con is that you don't have much privacy, that if your colleague is talking on the phone loudly, you are going to hear everything they're saying. The truth is that it's a great way to work because everybody feels connected, everyone's engaged. The idea of hierarchy is negated. Therefore, you feel like this sense of community. And the nice thing about the way that open office has evolved is that we've gotten more sophisticated about breakaway spaces, phone booths, soft seating. And now that everybody doesn't have to feel tethered to a desktop, 
you can easily take your laptop, go sit in an empty conference room, have a phone call. And because of that, we've started creating this more hybrid sort of office where you can work at your desk or you can move to the pantry area and still have a completely productive workday. It's been an amazing change and it's something that's still getting evolved and tweaked as Wi-Fi connections improve, as more vendors and manufacturers are bringing off-the-shelf products that can make your office more flexible. So why do you think a lot of organizations want this hybrid workplace? It's demanded by the people who work there. Um, Talking about what you guys were saying earlier, I cannot tell you how many times we will be walking through an old office footprint from the 80s and we'll see dropped ceilings, we'll see cubicles, beige finishes, carpeting that looks like it hasn't been cleaned in 15 years. And it's funny because we're ripping it all out, we're exposing all the existing structure, showing all of the mechanical systems, and we can't help but think, well, in 20 years from now, are we gonna be ripping out what we're doing and putting in more cubicles? The answer is no. We are going to keep evolving. And to go back to that lifestyle is completely impractical for the way that people work today. Think about it, in the 80s, you had a phone, and that was the main way you worked. Now, you have a laptop. You don't need to be on the phone nine hours a day. Instead, you make one or two phone calls a day, and that's the end of it. The rest of it is texting, communicating, Slack, um, Monday, and all of these things make you flexible in terms of where you can go and also keep the noise level in an office space down. Yeah, no, I was just wondering, do you employ any strategies that either promote employee engagement, like through clustering certain desks in certain groups? Like, I'm curious um, how you decide where you you put things. Is, is it based on, you know, what space you have, or is there a strategy behind? No, it's um, all about flexibility. So there was a time in which you would work at the same job for 40 years, and you'd probably say, this is my desk for 40 years, and you'd gradually decorate it with all of your favorite tchotchkes. In reality now, an office is designed so that if a team changes and your team splits, you can easily reconfigure the seating chart or the location of people within one evening. Your staff can pick up their laptops. All of your file cabinets are on rollers. You could even bring partitions that are just clip in and clip out so that you don't have to disrupt the workflow in order to keep your teams functioning together. I cannot speak enough about the importance of having a team be in physical proximity to one another. Um, Sure, we have all of these great chat apps and different ways of collecting information and communicating, but nothing comes close to just turning your seat around asking someone to look at your screen and getting a response. You have a much better feel for everyone's progress, and it does create this sense of shared community around what you're doing as a project. Um, One of our firm's ethos is, is that collaboration makes a better project. And that doesn't just mean with your client and your contractor, it also means within your team that if everybody has input on the project, therefore they're gonna have value and the project is gonna be better resolved and more thought out. I'm also interested in this point that you brought up about privacy. So, I mean, if, I guess it makes sense that in the old traditional ways that offices were built, you know, the cubicle structure, the corner offices, you did have those walls separating you and, you know, you could have that sense of privacy, let's say, in your in your own space. So do you feel that with this 
now evolved and more open and hybrid office design, do you feel that privacy has taken a backseat or is it still desired? How, how do you deal with that? I think that the way that this generation of worker thinks about privacy is dramatically different than the way that somebody 40 years ago would have thought about privacy. The answer is yes, privacy is still very important. And there's certain moments in the day in which you need to have your own space. And because of that, companies like Facebook and Google, they can buy off the shelf phone booths, some that have doors, some which are just open to the side and that are covered with fabric. And because of that, they can easily add or subtract or move them around their office plate very quickly. And if you need to take a personal call, whether it's for work or for other reasons, you know that you're not going to have to worry about it becoming public. It is a necessity. There's just certain things that should not be said in an open office. And because of that, technology and products are quickly rising to meet the demands. Something that's becoming even more difficult but still important is not just your personal phone booth, but the idea that an office may change its needs based on how many conference rooms they need. And everyone's looking for the silver bullet in terms of how do we quickly deploy a conference room. Let's just say you're a firm of 40 people and you've only built one conference room. How can you build a new conference room over the weekend with code compliant but non-DOB filed conference rooms? So there's companies that can now build these systems for you. They'll come in, everything is code compliant, including your sprinkler, air, walls, and install it. You lose no productivity and you've solved your problem. If it turns out you don't need it, you can break it down, put it into storage, use it again later. Um, it's the whole concept of demountable systems. Now, the one thing that you have to do as a business owner is plan for future proofing. What does that mean? Make sure that you can easily bracket things to the floor, make sure you have outlets, any hardwired AVIT, and make sure that that's all available throughout your office so that as your teams change, you can quickly start to move desks. Uh, we finished a project for a smaller firm, and even though they only needed to have enough workspaces for 16 people, we built the flexibility for 42, and we wired it all back to the server rack, knowing that, sure, they may only have 16 people, but their clusters may change, and the evolution of the office may change, or they may grow to 32 or they may decide they need to have more phones. We want to make sure that that's all completely available. And if you plan it out now, sure, it's a small expense while you're doing your initial renovation, but it's a very large expense to do it in the future. That enters a really interesting idea around strategy and planning. And I'm curious how maybe once a design is implemented or thought through, how is that then reflected back into management styles? Is, is the design influencing the way leaders manage their companies? Um, is it changing that? It's like it's almost like a symbiotic Absolutely. relationship. It's very much a two-way street. Um, we would never have gotten to this point in office design if it wasn't something that employees and management were both encouraged to do. And... It's a situation in which, let's say you've grown um, up in a generation where you're more used to your digital device. You've gone through college where you're used to having large open work environments. The idea of you taking a 180 
and having a private office is not enticing at all. Businesses need to appeal to people who have got talent. By doing that, you offer a pleasant environment and you offer certain amenities. And because of that, management not only encourages these sorts of things, but they're also driving what kind of amenities they think are best for their staff. Um, one thing that we've noticed is that the whole term of boss or, or um, staff is sort of changing and that people really refer to the entire group as colleagues in an ecosystem so that it's a lot more of a level playing field. There used to be a time in which you'd think, oh, well, that's my boss's office. I'm such a low person on the totem pole, I shouldn't even knock on the door. That just is a completely antithetical to where we think of today. Innovation comes from everyone, and it requires this sort of connection between all layers of an office, because you never know who's going to be able to crack some problem and actually make the whole process go smoother. So I'm curious to know, what kind of businesses or brands are you usually working with? Because I'd like to get a bit more specific on just what kind of organizations this kind of hybrid office design would suit. Well, without a doubt, um, the lion's share of our corporate clients are startups. There are companies that have ethos, they have a passion, they have a stance, and they want to have a space that is indicative of who they are. So I want to take one quick step back to one of your earlier comments, which is, where is workplace? And how my firm jumps in on this. There are two strong typologies for how a company can work. One is a traditional office environment, where you take on a 10 or a 15 year lease, and you're committing to either renovating a space or taking over an existing space. But you're somewhat restricted by the amount of capital you have to put out at the beginning and whether or not the building is going to allow you to make the changes that you need. The other side is you join into a company like WeWork, which is an amazingly well-run model. But if you're a company that's starting out and you're trying to create an identity, you can't reflect that in a WeWork space. Now, I do want to point out that WeWork is now evolving their model to start helping companies build their own brand. but it's still the lion's share is them using their design model and then having companies use their space. Um, so what we do is we found a sweet spot that's somewhat in between. A lot more um, businesses and companies are signing three to five year leases. And if you're a startup company that's 14 people now, but you may be growing to 50 people by the end of your lease, what we can do is set up a framework where we do a light renovation on the space meaning we wouldn't do any plumbing or HVAC upgrades on the space. Instead, we create new electrical, AV, and pantry spaces. So because of that, your overall initial investment is significantly lower. And then we work with the company to find out what are their priorities in terms of the space. What kind of atmosphere do they want their employees to have? And what kind of atmosphere do they want people who are visiting their office to experience? And because of that, we can do a light design package and do a very quick renovation so that within a month, you're in your space and you already have something that's completely representing your identity. It's distinct. No one else has any space just like yours. What we like to say with all of our clients is, if you are a business, you are the captain of the ship. You are going to set the course. What we do is we're your first mate. 
We are going to make sure that we don't steer you into any icebergs, and we're going to give you lots of input on how to execute your vision. So we can recommend any sorts of furniture, seating, practical things such as technology, and of course, cohesive design strategy. So when you're talking to clients, what are you seeing some things that are trending right now in terms of what they're demanding in the workplace and what are some things maybe that you're finding are falling by the wayside? Without a doubt, the idea of partitions. Um, And that's a good and a bad thing. I think that if you have a large open space, and let's just say you have an office of 50 to 100 people. Now, we always say that a sweet spot for an office falls at 75 people. That's an ecosystem. 75 people in one large room would be really daunting. But firms, they don't want to start investing in partitions because they know that that's going to lock in where people are seated. So that means you're going to put a partition and have 15 people, partition and have 15 people. Now, the nice thing is there's a lot of temporary solutions. Regardless of what kind of firm you're running, you're going to need storage. So you can use some sort of flexible storage device that could create the definition of space. Another thing that we started doing is using an electrical system that's flexible enough that if you take out a chunk of desks, you could go and add soft seating so that you could easily have a breakaway space, a game room, have um, a TV monitor on the wall so that people could look at their work in large format. So the way that trends are going is creating a balance between what it means to have a traditional desk and what it means to have a giant beer hall where everybody's just kicking it. (laughs) Um, The one thing that we've definitely noticed is that no one has been able to truly do away with a distinct desk for a person. We had a company where we um, were working with them on this idea of saying, you have a company of 40 people, let's see what happens if we only put in 20 desks. So we did that as our strategy. The rest of the people would be working in soft seating or in conference rooms, remote. And the problem was a simple technology thing, which is that if you have 20 desks that are just kind of considered workstations, there is no sense of ownership for whoever is using it. And that their their, um, staff and their colleagues They still wanted to have a place to drop their shoes, to drop their coat, and it just completely lacked any sort of personality. So we had enough flexibility built into the floor plate that we were able to add the other 20 desks. Everybody knew where their home was, and even if only half the desks are used at any given time, it still works as a much more functioning office. Great. Five years from now? People may be flexible enough and not requiring any sort of a desktop that you just have a laptop, just plug it in, and that's a desk. Mm -hmm. And then five minutes later, I could leave and you could take it. I think the other thing that you cannot underestimate enough is the importance of having your own junk drawer. And that regardless of what you keep in there, whether it's your business cards, it's um, scrunchies for your hair, people want that drawer or they want a file cabinet so that they can keep any sort of printed log. Um, So many firms have tried to go digital, and it's true. It would be wonderful if we never had to have a printer in an office, but there's always reasons to have prints, whether it's a legal document, something that has to be scanned, or even just a set of printed drawings for an architecture firm. It's easier to have a print, and because of that, you want to make sure you can catalog it and file it. So having at least some sort of a storage area for each person 
is pivotal. So it sounds like that mobility is a crucial element here. And with the incorporation of a lot of our digital tools and just what we've become accustomed to more recently, uh, that's also reflected in the office spaces. Yeah. Are you? What other sorts of technology are you seeing being integrated into the workplace, or how is technology influencing the, the physical design? It's a really good point. There are many ways to connect to a television. You may have an iPad and you want to present. That's great. You sling it to an Apple TV. But let's say you're a PC user. You'd have to use Chromecast. Let's say you want to hook up your laptop manually. Then you need to have a certain cord. Let's say you wanted to um, have a dedicated computer for each conference room. That would need to be wired in. And it's a moment that we are at right now where there is no perfect solution. So for any new office project, we're specifying four connections so that you come into a conference room, there's a quick chart to show you which type of device you're connecting and which is the best way to do it. Because you have no idea someone outside of your office is gonna be bringing something in. And you wanna make sure that they can quickly get their information to the team. Um, when it comes to individual office spaces and desks, the question is whether you use hardwiring or Wi-Fi. And um, the jury is still out whether you could truly run an office on Wi-Fi. We still recommend hardlining, if not just for your desktops, but also for phones, so that you can at least have one polycom station for every two people. Yeah, I've yet to be to a conference room where it ever worked smoothly, like, <laughs> at least like a stranger's conference room or, you know, where I'm going in as a, a guest. It's we, always we challenging. Find <laughs> it's a two-step solution. One, everybody who's in the office needs to be educated how the system works. Some people don't even know how to turn the TV on, which is fine. You should just have a quick meeting and be like, your friend comes in, he's got an iPad, HDMI 2, and then he just slings it to our wi wireless network. It's really great. Um, we are in this middle spot right now where we've been experimenting with open office plan for more than 10 years and technology is still catching up with what it means to be in an open space. And this is across the board, new construction, commercial, residential. In five years, it's going to be a dramatically different conversation. What I want to talk a little bit more about is how you go about customizing an office space that's particular to the brand, the company, the identity. I know we've talked very high level about, you know, conference rooms, mobility, flexible spaces, but what is your design and collaboration process like of incorporating actual, you know, specific elements that are related to the brand? Well, picking up on your question, and this is something that as a firm, we spend a lot of time not only working on, but constantly refining our approach. Um, it is a dedicated approach to collaboration, but every client's different, every floor is different, every building's different. So we have an intensive and rigorous question answer session. Um, every client will fill out a questionnaire in which we walk you through it, and we find out what your priorities are, both architecturally and in terms of your interior design and finishes. And from there, we get more and more granular. If we're renovating a bathroom, what kind of tile you're interested in. This is not a definitive list, but it's just to give us some sort of direction for where we're going to go. So going full circle to where we're talking about offices and environment, if a firm comes to us and says, not only is our firm committed to using green products and green technology, we want to find a way of representing that, then we have a concept that we can start to build off of. And from there, 
we find the best solution that's going to achieve what your goals are. It's a concept that we always have to refine because every situation is unique. Therefore, we're learning something with every single project we do. So speaking of green technology, I think you know there's already been a lot of studies around bringing plants into the workplace, uh, produce you know higher levels of productivity and cleaner air. Um, are you seeing other elements of green technology coming in besides green walls? Um, what else is being incorporated into like the spirit of health and wellness? Well, some of it is behind the scenes. The idea that there's certain products that you can use into your office that physically make your staff healthier, meaning using the correct paint, the correct um, HVAC system, the right filters, just using more ecologically sensitive products can physically make your um, colleagues healthier. When it comes to making a design statement, it's twofold. It's physical products that you're bringing in, such as plants, or it's what it means from a design stance meaning what kind of graphics are you going to be using on your wall? What kind of partition systems are you going to use to create um, a more organic setting? The office space itself is remarkably rigid. You're usually working in a building that's a rectangular footprint, and the module for a desk is still rectangular. There have been experiments in the past to make them a little bit more organic, but when it comes to flexibility, the rectangle is still the way to go. Think about it, your laptop is a rectangle. You want to have space on each side of it. Therefore, you're going to have a rectangular desk. But um, you can start to arrange those rectangular desks in an organic fashion. We talked earlier about clustering people together. That doesn't mean you have to cluster them in a square. You can easily start to fold them and bend them. And in those soft spaces, in between what would be a 90 degree angle, is an opportunity for you to use plants or any other sort of soft seating. To wrap up the concept of what it means, though, to bring in plants as a physical object, you are committing to a certain amount of maintenance or technology. That means that you may want to go with a self-watering system that needs to be monitored and maintained, or it means that you need to have a dedicated individual who's monitoring and maintaining these plants. If you know early on in the process what kind of system you want to do, we can build it into the initial design. Yeah, I want to take a step back to when you were just talking about the rigidity of the workspace um, and how that manifests into how people feel every day going in. I know Navridi and I talk a lot about, um, you know, West, uh, you know, WeWork is incorporating a lot of West Elm furniture that you would maybe use in your home. And so how do you begin to um, separate the feeling of being at, at work versus being at home? Because sometimes when you start to feel like you're at home at work, then you're like almost staying there too long. You know, it's well, how do you separate those two? Well, wouldn't we all just want to wear our pajamas to work every day and kick it? Um, the reason why companies like West Elm and Article are so successful in a place like WeWork or any of the other people who are in the market is because they're relatively low cost and they're very comfortable and flexible. So going with Herman Miller, is a significant investment for soft seating. You can spend tens of thousands of dollars on sofas. Whereas if you go with Article or West Elm, you could spend five or $600. If it gets trashed over the course of two years, that's fine because your space will probably be evolving in two years anyway. And it's not just seating, it's lighting, it's tables, it's having a credenza for your monitor or your television. 
Um, when you walk into an office, what is the first thing that you want people to see? And probably anybody who's thinking about that right now has their own impression. There are certain people who want the office to have wood paneling, marble floors, and a desk that has your company logo on it. That is a traditional way of looking at an office. Maybe you're thinking, I'd rather come in and have the space, be active and engaged, have a seating area so that anybody can come in, wait for their guest or colleague to come, and sit. That's great. Other people may think, well, I want it to look like a beer garden and have rows of desks, have soft seating, and have a keg on tap. It really is completely based on the company. And that's one of the things that we take a lot of pride in. We won't really know what the process is going to be like or what the design is going to be like until we've gone through our rigorous interview process. So let's dive a little bit deeper into your learnings and insights from the projects you've done so far. I'd like to know a bit more about what you think or what are the design elements that you think create an engaging office environment? You know, um, since we brought up soft seating so much, it's one of the easiest ways to define what your company is. Um, if you have a home, you can probably agonize over a rug decision for months and months and months and months and months. But how many people really agonize over what type of desks they're going to use in an office? Mm -hmm. It might be a one or two day decision. They're going to go with an off the shelf product, something that's flexible, it may rise and lower. But when it comes to making soft seating, it is a chance for you to really define what your color scheme is, what your brand is, what type of art you're going to have on the wall, what kind of board games you're going to have available. It really does set the stance for what you're going to do. Mm -hmm. um, going back, though, to how you define your space, it could be as simple as what kind of color scheme you want to go with. Say your brand has an affinity for bold reds. That's great. We can design a system that has accents of red, or we could find um, a wonderful lounge chair that's going to be red and have it scattered around the office. When it comes to the actual physical desk, you can start doing something custom, but if you need to get moved in in a month, you're going to go with something off the shelf. What about beyond the desk? We've seen a lot of offices that have a lot of other activated spaces you know, and th that are actually there to encourage engagement. Can you tell us a bit more about what you think about that? We're working with um, a lot of clients who want to expand the role of what the pantry is. I think there was a time in which you'd say, oh, it's water cooler discussion. And that's still a very valid thing. If you're working um, on a different team, one of the only ways that you'll really interact is at the pantry. Um, larger companies are dedicating so much more energy into keeping their staff in the office throughout the entire workday. If you go to Google or Facebook, it's having meals available, it's having drinks available. And it's because they want to keep their staff thoughtful and engaged the whole time. So now smaller companies are picking up on that cue. They're offering a lot more amenities, whether it's snack box or having better coffee, beer and wine. And because of that, it's not just a pantry anymore. The notion is that it's going to be a series of large communal desks. People can bring their own food. There's food available. They can get seamless. And then you can continue the conversation of what you may have been working on in a meeting through this space. The other um, element that is a substantial improvement over the way things used to be is having a nicer bathroom area. And whether that means you have a communal um, prepping dress space 
versus privacy for the bathrooms or just having a co-ed bathroom is um, a way to really make your um, colleagues feel like they have um, a healthier, nicer environment. Um, the idea of really cold, static bathrooms is not appealing. Um, a lot of building owners that we work with are investing heavily in making much nicer bathroom facilities just because they know that you're spending 10 hours, 12 hours a day in your office. You're going to be using the pantry and the bathroom numerous times. You'll spend more time in your pantry than you do in your own kitchen. So just flipping the coin here, what design elements do you think hinder productivity? Um, when it comes to hindering productivity, it's going flip side into the whole idea of open office. Um, if you need to have a private conversation and every conference room is taken, then you've hindered productivity. Because at a certain point you may say, oh, I need to have a one-on-one -on -one with one of my colleagues. Every conference room is taken. Let's just go out to get coffee. And all of a sudden that 10 minute coffee break turns into an hour and a half of shopping and it doesn't really help productivity. <laughs> that said, it's a very small price to pay for having 95% better of an office experience. It's also something that an attentive office manager can really tend to. The amount of capital that goes into adding one or two more phone booths, even if they're a two person, is minimal. You can also start testing which phone booth manufacturers suit your company the best because there's so many on the market that some of them just aren't feasible for the amount of workload that it may have to handle. So you have to kind of find the one that's right for you. So moving into, you know, 10 years from now, what do you think would be your ideal client, or if you had an unlimited budget to work with, what would you do that um, you're not being asked of to do today? So looking forward, without a doubt, it is flexibility. And so I'm going to think about this as a number of different fronts. Um, technology is giving us a lot more freedom when it comes to our office design, and I think that is only going to improve. Um, eventually, we will not be having to hardwire anything. Once you are free from having any sort of AV cables, then you could easily build partition walls and just you have to have a power source. So all you have to really think about is creating a decent layer of power throughout your office floor plate, and then you can start to reconfigure things as you want. So where's the future? It's all modularity. And when I say modularity, it's kind of a large, all-encompassing word, but you can get more into the specifics. Modularity, meaning how can you fit one person's entire work experience into something that could easily be deployed, replicated, or moved? What does it mean to have a modular conference room? Well, it takes five guys a week to put this up. That is not what the future is going to hold. The future is going to be modularity, meaning the workspace can evolve on a day-to-day -day basis. It'll eventually become a living, breathing organism that can evolve, can think ahead, and technology is 90% of the way there. Nowadays, you'll go into many offices, and rather than just having a plaque that says what a conference room is, it's an iPad. It has a schedule for who's booking it. That is only going to get more and more sophisticated. If you start thinking about people's schedule over the course of a week or a month, an algorithm can say, it's January 1st. Our mean number of conference rooms that we're going to need is six. Therefore, deploy six. 
and then it can be set up and that'll get you through an entire month. And then lastly, it's being more on demand about your employees or colleagues' needs. Um, and how many times have you wanted to go get um, some chocolate-covered almonds and you get to the room and it's empty? Well, they can start planning ahead a little bit more on that in terms of what your consumption rates are, and that's simply something that's more being attentive to what your people need. So where do you feel we are right now in our phase of evolution? I would say that we are safely in the open office environment set, and I think that um, it's been tested and proven as a success. So I would say that what we're doing now is polishing it. Um, I think that any way you think about it, open offices are here to stay. And maybe in 40 years we'll be having another conversation, but there's no way to think that we'd ever go back based on preference of who people are, which people are using the space, and also what technology can allow us to do. Um, in the future, it's just going to be more and more and more customization. For me as an architect, I believe that the future is not only just about creating flexibility in terms of how these open floor plates work, but also how you can start creating a design, a style, a concept that's representative of the company as well. What do you wish clients asked you to do more of? Without a doubt, it's uh, more freedom in terms of using new products. Um, everybody's comfortable going with a tested product, and I don't blame them. When you're working on an office, you want to make sure it's going to be functioning smoothly the whole time. But there's lots of new materials. There's lots of new technology that would be wonderful to start applying now, but it's finding whatever beta testers are willing to use it. Yeah, do you have any examples of that or what's coming up? What do you see? Of course. Um, there's far more sophisticated green wall systems that function year-round, and they require a full computer sensor. They have to be maintained. Um, they have to have a dedicated storage space for all the equipment and supplies. And we have companies that have looked into it, but ultimately the idea of having a living, breathing wall is just not practical for the amount of maintenance that it would require. So instead, they'll go with green walls, but they tend to be synthetic, or there's systems in which you could take live plants and you use like taxidermy-style systems. So they're like flash-frozen, and then you put them up on the wall. So it still has the look and texture, but it's no longer living. Um, even though these companies say that they're green technology and that they're ecologically sensitive, Nothing comes close to having missed having these plants that are living and breathing and returning fresh oxygen into your space. Um, we're still folding large open office spaces into older buildings, meaning that the mechanical systems haven't been upgraded yet. So it's really up to whoever is taking over this space to start making gestures that are going to make the space healthier. All right. Are there any last insights or comments you have regarding workplace design and its future? Um, I think I've mentioned this a couple times, but I think this is something that goes across any platform, whether it's a new building, residential, or an office. It's about finding your own identity. And I think that if you want to create a space that people are proud of, that people enjoy going to, and that people will grow and think in a positive way, 
It's about having them be engaged in the design process. All right. I think that's a great place to stop. Thank you so much for coming in, Mark. You can find Mark and his firm at DTLSARC.com. And you can also follow them on Instagram at DTLSarchitecture. To all our listeners, if you have any questions and comments about this episode, we encourage you to email us at hello at aboveandbelow.nyc. We have many more topics to cover about the future of the workplace, and you can stay in the loop with us by subscribing to our channels on iTunes, Spotify, or Anchor. Thanks so much for listening.